Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, takeover latest as bids are submitted, Blues cruise into FA Cup semi-finals as men and women make light work of the last eight, and we round up the rest of the Chelsea news, including news of a big weekend for a former Blue. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out of Cobham. We are then, listener. It's Monday. You know what that means. It's time for another SOC. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, are two of the Athletics' finest. Simon Johnson's here. Good morning. And Liam Toomey's with us too. Forza Tammy. Hello. <laughs> yes, more on him later. Uh, we will also talk through the weekend's FA Cup ties, but we're going to start today with the latest on the sale of Chelsea FC. Interested parties submitted their bids to Rain Group, the bank handling the sale of the club on Friday. Matt Slater has sorted the runners from the also-rans on The Athletic. That piece, well worth a read. Uh, Simon, you tweeted on Friday that the Ricketts Group bid had been submitted. Do we know who else has, has confirmed their offers for the club? Yeah, there's, there's quite a list. But um, thankfully, it's going to be whittled down uh, what we're coming out Monday, so it, even by the time this pod has gone out, it, the shortlist may have been drawn up two to four names. Um, so it's almost not that I've got an inside track on what this shortlist will be, but you can imagine it's going to be the Ricketts family, Todd Bowley. Um, I think it'd be interesting whether Nick Candy gets in. He's obviously got Viali on board for, for extra points. Sir Martin Broughton with Sev Coe. Um, there's, it's been fascinating. I, I think we we haven't heard from the Ghanaian uh, goldmine guy. Um, a bit disappointed about that. I was rooting for him all along. Um, Musin Bayrak had the wrong email address. It's a tragedy. <laughs> Do you know what? I think I had the same same issue when I when I was logging on to my computer on Friday. Just 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 bounce back my 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 bid attempt, but. Um, this sounds like all, all the impressions you get from talking to people is that this is going to happen pretty quickly. That's certainly the uh, the desire on all parties to try and get this done as quickly as possible. Rain Group are really keen to get this done. I think you sort of get impression from the government side of things that they want to get it done pretty quickly. So all, all the doom and gloom forecasts of not so long ago, you know, where the Chelsea could function as a business, um, they might have a new owner become... Uh, Come Easter. Uh, Liam, we saw a lot of public courting last week, obviously, from the likes of, of Martin Broughton. Do, do you think that it will be quieter now, the story, in terms of the next thing that we hear is this person is the preferred bidder rather than, than any more kind of leaks around around the story between now and whenever the announcement is made? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Now that the bids are in, it's hard to say whether the battle for public opinion is over as well. There, there was definitely an element of that in in some of the ways that 
some of the bidders have been conducting themselves, even if it's you know either direct comments or indirect briefings. Um, there has been quite a lot of activity. I think everyone's just waiting to see what rain do, and then maybe what could happen is once this shortlist gets drawn up, then we see the sort of final three or four ramp up things. Um, and I still think there might be a chance for fans to make their voices heard. You know, if one or two of the bids that, that make the final shortlist are ones that fans have specific concerns about, you know, whether it's because of past comments that people have made or, you know, political connections or anything else. I still think there might be a chance for fans to influence this just by external noise. But obviously, in a vacuum, Rain Group are just going to pick the the best offer, I think. Um, and while we the, the government are saying that they're not going to have too much control over this, even though practically they do have like a de facto veto on it. Um, so there, there might be a little bit of briefing going on. I would imagine Nick Candy will have something to say because he's had quite a lot to say so far. He's he's been he's been campaigning but yeah overall now i think it's more about the money and the actual the actual tangibles of each proposal you know to, what what can they actually offer the club after they buy it what will the the structure the governance look like will there be fan representation what's the plan for the stadium i think these questions are probably going to have the biggest impact it's, yeah, some of the things I was, I was being told last week was that um, it's not necessarily biggest bid wins, as Liam sort of intimating there. It's it's obviously important, you know, you can't turn up with a fiver. Um, but it, it, there's, there's other things to that were brought into consideration. And one of those things uh, also that I was told was that they were particularly favouring, or by the sounds of it last week, they are particularly favouring bids that came from a sporting background, people that are used to running uh, sporting franchises, I should say, because essentially what we're talking about is the American guys um, who obviously are running teams over there. Um, and the stadium seems to be uh, just generally something that's coming up quite a lot. Um, but then, you know, whether we get onto my piece on that I did from the Borough game. It's quite interesting speaking to fans. They didn't seem that that fussed about the stadium. For them, I think it's it's basically who they're going to buy and, and whether Chelsea are going to maintain their status as one of the best teams in in the Premier League, in Europe and the world. That seemed to be their their main point of concern. But it's um it's not dull, is it? It's um it, it's been a lively few weeks and it's just been quite remarkable seeing, seeing sort of trying the, the challenge has always been to sort of sift through those that were genuine or and, and those that are just using it as a as an opportunity to get their names out in the public domain what else i found interesting simon from your pc you spoke to some of the 675 fans yeah. that were on side on saturday was it there's not there's not one universally popular candidate is it it's not like everybody's got a candy crush or everybody's bowled over or any other crappy pun that you want to make about the potential business <laughs> yeah i mean it, obviously you know we're all we're talking about a very small cross section of the fan base and even the fan base that were there on saturday but i was still surprised that no one really seemed to go yeah i want this guy none of them you'd sort of think out of well i spoke to between 
well, probably up to about 20 fans in in the sort of hour, 45 minutes to an hour that I was outside the away end. Maybe it's me, maybe I made them shy, but uh, <laughs> um, I did find I did find that they were like, they were more concerned about what kind of owner they'll be rather than who it is. They almost didn't care about the name, although there was quite a lot of anti-American sentiment. Um, the Glazers seemed to be at the forefront of, of their, their minds, so please let it not be someone to trying to to make money out of the club. Um, in saying that, you sort of, I know the Glazers get a terrible press, but they, it's not like United haven't spent an absolute fortune on transfers. Um, so yes, I'm not, this is not a United podcast, but, um, it's not like the Glazers of, of, of um, yeah, they're not a Mike Ashley, put it that way. Um, whose name did come up, actually. Someone just went, as long as, as, long as they're not Mike Ashley. And funny enough, they spoke with a North Eastern accent. <laughs> People who get their news from the Newcastle fans a couple yeah. of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and, and, but there even wasn't this, what we're seeing on social media, this sort of big, yeah, Saudis, yeah. That didn't come up either. Um, it was all about, you know, their, their hearts got to be in the right place, passion for the, for the club. Can they back them as well as, as Roman? Of course not, but that seemed to be the. Can they be as sort of um, as uh, you know putting their money with their their heart is a little bit. Um, that seemed to be their their main point of concern. Uh, elsewhere, Liam, on Saturday, John Terry released a statement saying he's part of the True Blues consortium who are hoping to secure a ten percent stake in the club. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm baffled by this. Can can you explain it to me? Yeah, so there was originally a report um, on Friday about this. Uh, I think Gold reported it, and and it immediately put people off because there was a mention of like fan tokens and NFTs and and crypto and all this sort of thing. I've since been told categorically that there is no NFT slash crypto involvement in in what this is. Um, what it is is essentially um, John Terry and Claire Rafferty are the Chelsea adjacent faces of this True Blues consortium, which is a collection of um, investors and a investment firm called Oakvale Capital, um, and they've they've apparently already raised fifty million pounds. Their plan is to raise two hundred million more through fan shares. Um, so you could buy, in theory, you could buy a share for a hundred pounds, like CPO, and you get a stake in the club. And they use that 250 million to buy a 10% stake in the club. So they haven't submitted a bid on Friday because that's not their aim. They're not trying to buy all of Chelsea. They're trying to bolt on to any winning bid. Um, so when a when a preferred bid is chosen, they will want want to try and sit down with them and see if they can agree um to to take 10%. And and the idea of that is to buy a seat on the board, which would be a fan represented seat. Um, and then there would be a negotiation around things around that, you know, like golden shares, all the other things that were in Tracy Crouch's report. But that's very much what they're pitching. I'm not sure how viable it is at the moment. I get the impression they didn't even really want to go public with this yet until it was leaked on Friday. So they're they're still kind of a bit light on the detail, but they have they have presented to the Chelsea Supporters Trust and the CPO last week, and both of them are kind of tentatively supporting the idea of it. Um, but I think everyone just wants to see a little bit more detail. 
Doesn't sound like Liam says, Simon, doesn't sound that viable, does it? Just in terms of why would whoever the new owner is want to immediately give up 10%? <laughs> no, but then there does seem to be this, um, whether it's a PR, for PR purposes or whatever, there does seem to be a drive from quite a few of the the bidders to have some kind of Chelsea involvement, uh, whether it be an ex-player or fans, etc. But they they tend to be non-financial investment kind of roles. So, yeah, you're right to flag whether someone would be willing to give up 10%. Um, it sounds like something that would have been good as part of a bid, not good after the bid's been made, if, if you get my meaning. Um, but we'll see. You know, John Terry is, is, is obviously a, a massive name that all Chelsea fans will, will, will know and will sort of like think, yeah, it would be good to see his face as part of it. Um, so he may have some public support, but whether he has support from the the people, the most important people, the people that win the bid, uh, is another thing entirely. Interesting, Liam, isn't it? Because Terry's obviously the, the bigger name of the two attached to it, but, but Claire Rafty's got a degree in economics and used to work for Deutsche Bank while she played for Chelsea. So actually, she's eminently more qualified to kind of be involved in this than Terry, as you'd say. I didn't actually know that. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be quite interested to talk to her actually at some stage about it because presumably with that background, she's presumably given this a fair deal of thought. Um, so yeah, that that is interesting. I don't know how much it necessarily changes in the grand scheme just because as Simon says, their entire plan depends on whoever wins the bid sitting down with them, agreeing to, first of all, agreeing to even talk to them. And second of all, actually agreeing to give up a meaningful stake in, in, in the company. And, and if they don't get that, then this all kind of just dissipates. Um, so it's, it's really just a one, a one time play that they can make. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, perhaps Claire Rafferty being involved, given her background, maybe does give it a little bit more credibility, given everything that she knows about this world. Well, listener, as we know, this takeover is a rapidly developing story. Best place to keep up with it is on The Athletic. Head to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up now if you aren't currently a subscriber. Next today, we'll look back on Saturday's Tea Time Treat on Teesside. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Kovacic with a bit of space. Mount with even more. Ziyech. Aspilicueta has flown into the box. It's on for Ziyech. Oh, what a glorious shot. Hakem Ziyech cutting in. 
Middlesbrough nil, Chelsea 2 at the Riverside Stadium on Saturday then. As comfortable a passage through to the semi-finals as Thomas Tuchel could possibly have hoped for. His first half goals from Romelu Lukaku and Hakim Ziyech got the job done. Borough's attack on the pitch far less cutting uh, than those comments made by Chris Wilder and Steve Gibson in the build-up to the game. Uh, Simon, you were at the Riverside for the Athletic. Was it as comfortable as I've made out there? It took Borough ages to have a shot on target and, and as soon as that second goal from Ziyech went in, there seemed very little doubt about who was going through. It, it was quite um, refreshing to be at a game where, and I think all the journalists felt this way <laughs> after after a... Well, certainly those on the Chelsea beat were quite relieved that something was so straightforward. Um, it you know, it was a stroll. Chelsea's greater quality just stood out, really. I, I, I felt they once they went 2-0 up, they kind of went through the motions a little bit. Middlesbrough sort of huffed and puffed. Um, they, they had some dangerous moments down the Langsar's side, unsurprisingly, because Jones plays on that flank and he's been one of their key men in the FA Cup run, but there was no real quality in the, in the penalty area. Um, I don't remember Mendy making a save of, of any note. And yeah, the goals were, it, 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 Tuchel must have been sitting there going, this is, this is perfect. After the tough run they've been on um, midweek weekend, midweek weekend, go 2-0 up in, in half an hour. And the goals were both superb. I just remember, and I tweeted it at the time, Ziyech's goal, this this audible sort of gas-stroke groan from from the Middlesbrough fans when it hit the net, just, oh. <laughs> and it was kind of a groan and a, oh, <laughs> at the same time. And and you could tell they were like, too good. They're, they're too good. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've had a bit of fun with Man United and Spurs, but... This lot are the next level up. Um, and they, they went on to have a good time. The Riddles were fans. Fair play to them. They, they kept chanting throughout. And, uh, of course, they had a lot of fun at Chelsea fans' expense. Um, but, yeah, it was a it was a very comfortable evening. Probably very much the disappointment of the BBC who picked it live for their, for their first FA Cup game. Uh, so there were five changes, Liam, from the side that started against Lille. Jorginho had a rest and Thomas Tuchel's expecting a, a thank you card from the Italian FA uh, for that this week, I think. Romelu Lukaku came in and, and actually even aside from his goal, I thought his, his hold-up play was much better than it has been in recent weeks. So it was a, a positive day for him. Yeah, and I thought actually he benefited a lot from the way Chelsea played, were able to play as a team. I think the fact that Middlesbrough tried to press Chelsea high really caused them them problems because Thiago Silva in particular, I think he got man of the match, didn't he? Um, and that wasn't just for his defending. It was because for both goals and for quite a few other chances, Chelsea just pinged the ball around the back, lured Middlesbrough forward and then just carved them open with a quick pass into midfield um, and they were away. And, and those basically generated transition situations, which Lukaku has very rarely had at Chelsea since he arrived. And that enabled, well, it it made it a lot easier for Chelsea to get the ball to Lukaku in the kind of places that he wants, such as one yard out for a (laughs) tap-in. That that Mason Mountcross was was perfect. And there was one not long before that, which which might have resulted in a goal. And I know Lukaku had another one cleared off the line. Um, He he was a lot more constantly dangerous. He'd looked a lot more involved. I think he... He looked like he felt a lot more involved and a lot more confident as a result. 
And, you know, it's not necessarily something that's going to be easy to replicate in every game because not every team's going to approach the game the way Middlesbrough do. And the ones that do might be better at pressing Chelsea into mistakes than Middlesbrough were. Um, So it's not necessarily going to be an easy game plan to pull off every week, but it certainly worked for Lukaku. And and Ziyech carried on his... His excellent form. Whenever he's been fit in the last few months, he's he's made a big impact. And how do you give the goalkeeper the eyes from thirty yards? How do you even do that? Everyone, including me, was expecting an in-swinging cross. Instead, you get an out-swinging thirty-yard shot that just bounces into the net. It was yeah, it was very very convincing on all fronts, and probably good for Lukaku's confidence that he was able to play such a big role in it. Uh, Simon, you were part of the press conference post-match. Uh, people trying to to get Thomas Tuchel to to maybe admit that his team might be back in the title race, but he, he's not having it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, firstly, I, I, I've been fortunate enough now to do a couple of pre-match press conferences. Um, now, now some post-match. It, it's just great to be with with Tuchel in person. Um, his personality sort of shining through. I know this is almost becoming a a bi-weekly Tuchel love-in at the moment. But the guy is fun, he's generally fun, very, very charismatic. And, and his answer to that question was superb. You know, it was, it was like, oh, you know, uh, and it was a fair question as well. It was, you're on this great run of form, which I have to say, it's something, it only just dawned on me really the, the other day. I, I sort of counted, I just went, hang on a minute, how many wins? I mean, 12, and it's now 12 out of the last 13 with the only defeat uh, being the one on penalties at Wembley against Liverpool. Uh, it's just a fantastic performance. I mean, it's, it's a great run. For, this is the kind of form that, you know, Liverpool, Man City often get praised for. Um, and it's kind of gone a little bit under the radar. Um, but yeah, he was asked, oh, given, the, given this great run you're on, you've got a game in hand and those two teams have to play each other. Is it is it still on? Um, and he just went, um, yeah, we're on a great run, but those two clubs have been on a great run for the last three years. <laughs> so, and he obviously meant as in it's three years long, their great run. And he's right. He's right to sort of, yeah, let, let, let's not be silly now. Um, anything's possible in football, but yeah, the, the, the odds are obviously against them winning the title. And he, he'll know that. He'll just be delighted that, the form they're in, it stands them in great stead for the FA Cup and, and the Champions League, which which are it's going to be difficult. Certainly, the Champions League, um, but they are winnable trophies for him this season. Liam, let's continue this Thomas Tuchel loving a little longer. You've written about him for the Athletic, the shining light in Chelsea's darkest hour. Well, I didn't write the headline, so I can't take credit <laughs> for that. But I did write the uh, two thousand words that came after it. Um, yeah, it was the, the the piece was essentially just looking at has he always been the kind of guy that was made for this sort of moment to to be this kind of leader. So I talked to uh, Daniel Muren and Tobias Schechter, who um, together wrote a book that Tuchel made it very clear he hadn't authorized um, an, an unauthorized biography, um, but they've known him since the very start of his of his coaching career, and I think Tobias actually played with him as well. So they they know him really well. They were able to give me some good insight into how he's developed and the ways that he hasn't. In lots of ways, he's personality-wise exactly the same as he was at the start of his career. But he has, I think his experiences at Dortmund and at PSG in particular have 
um, informed the way he handles himself politically within clubs because that was one of Chelsea's big fears when they initially looked at him in 2016 before appointing Antonio Conte and then when they were looking at him again um, in the final weeks of Lampard, they were seriously concerned that he could be a problem in terms of managing up. And that just hasn't been the case at all. And he's had far more to deal with than anyone could have anticipated with the Super League and now this. And from his perspective, he really enjoys the fact that that he's that the team and the, the training ground is just kind of his domain, his kingdom. And he can he can set the tone, he can do whatever he wants. And he didn't have that at PSG. From what I was told by Daniel and Tobias um, at Dortmund, it was kind of all tied up with what is the Dortmund identity. And they used the word nostalgia. And like this, this really frustrated Tuchel. He felt like he was, because he was succeeding Klopp as well, um, who was all tied up in that. I think he found that quite frustrating that he was, he was constantly batting against the club's idea of itself. And that's quite interesting to think about when you're thinking about Man United talking about going for Tuchel. Because there's something similar going on there post-Fergie. They've kind of been stuck in this, what is Manchester United? You know, what they've kind of lost the idea of themselves, but they're still obsessed with it. And I think that could be something that would frustrate Tuchel as well. Whereas at Chelsea, he really enjoys the fact that the only focus is winning. They don't really care how you do it. Um, How you do it is up to you, but they just demand that you win. Um, he loves that culture and I think it, it, it's going to take a big change. It would take whoever the new owners are to seriously screw this up for him to want out, I think, based on everything he said publicly and, and everything we've heard privately. Uh, Simon, before we move on from the, the Middlesbrough game, tell us a bit about the, the away support during it. Could, could you hear them? Were they subjected to abuse throughout from the, from the home supporters? Did they have a nice time? <laughs> <laughs> well, the sun was out, which is a bonus in Middlesbrough. Uh, yeah, you could hear them, for sure. Um, obviously, not so much when Middlesbrough fans were in unison. But, yeah, I mean, you could certainly hear them when the goals were going in, because uh, it went very quiet, um, apart from the gasps that I referred to earlier. Um, yeah, I think they had a great time. Yes, Middlesbrough fans were were baiting them. Um and and unsurprisingly so, because obviously the build-up to the game, Chelsea hadn't, uh, as a club, hadn't done themselves any favours uh, with winning any kind of um, popularity contests in the northeast uh, around Middlesbrough. Um, but yeah, no, I thought the atmosphere was good. And, and what, 675 fans, they, they definitely made themselves as loud as possible. Um, again, the fans I spoke to seemed delighted to, to sort of be there to be able to see a game, because... That that's in question now, of course, from now on. Um, what what games fans can see, and the the players and Tuchel again made a point of going over there. Apart from Timo Werner, I noticed, I noticed one of his quickest runs was um, straight down the tunnel, um, which uh, perhaps suggests what kind of mindset he's in at the moment. Uh, and finally, finally, Rhys James isn't going to join up with England, is he? Thomas Tuchel. No, <laughs> it became like the most sort of. You know, changing with the wind story, like, and then going back to what what was written at the start. Yeah, when I wrote that he was out, he was going to miss four games. Then it was kind of oh, it was Tuchel's fault because he went oh, he might be back at the weekend, and uh, you know, referring to uh, the Newcastle game, I think it was, and then he ends up missing the four games. Um, 
But yeah, I asked Tuchel on Saturday after the game, sort of what happens now, because it was a bit, I did find it weird that it's a classic England, I will, will call up a, a player that's been injured. Not the first time it's happened with Chelsea this season either, is it? Was it James or was it Chilwell earlier in the season? Something similar happened, I seem to remember. I think you're right, but yeah, my, I can't remember last week, let alone earlier <laughs> in the season. Um, um, but um, but yeah, I, I sort of went, well, it, he'd flagged it a little bit on the Friday's presser, and then, but then I thought I'd follow it up. And, and quite rightly, he sort of said, look, we're getting Petr Cech to talk to England and say he's better off carrying on his rehabilitation with us. He needs another week. Um, I'm sure Rhys James, that there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, you know, split, split um, in his mind because with Alexander-Arnold out, okay, Alexander-Arnold has not cemented his right back berth anyway with England of late, but he's obviously got ambitions to become England's main man in that part of the pitch. So he, this would have been a golden opportunity for him, but... No, with with what Chelsea have at stake after the international break, these are two friendlies that that he can easily miss, and he needs to get right for for Real Madrid. That's a far far more important um, thing for him to be ready for than Switzerland and the Ivory Coast. Uh, yeah, it was back in October. Ben Chilwell replaced Reese James uh, after he was selected, even though he was injured. That's right, and then and then that started Chilwell. Well, it was part of Chilwell's great run of form, wasn't it? And he yeah. got his confidence back. Yeah. So no Reese James, no Alexander Arnold, no Trippier for England. So they're down to only fifteen fit right back options for the <laughs> friendly. So we'll have to see how they get on. Uh, in terms of the FA Cup semi-final, Chelsea will play Crystal Palace. That'll take place the weekend of the 16th and 17th of April. Listener, you might well know the precise details of the fixture by now. Uh, no Conor Gallagher for Palace, as producer Lucy's pointing out, uh, which is a, a shame for him, but good news for Chelsea. Uh, next today, we'll turn our attention to the women's team and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
It wasn't just the men's team who played an FA Cup quarterfinal this weekend. Emma Hayes' women's side took on Birmingham City in the women's FA Cup. The trophy the Blues lifted in December and they made light work of it too, cruising to a 5-0 win. Magda Eriksson broke the deadlock just before half-time. Drew Spence netted her 50th Blues goal 10 minutes after the restart before a Beth England brace and Neve Charles strike put the seal on the win. The draw for the semis is Monday evening or tonight as we record. Uh, we're going to talk more about the women's team on Thursday. But Liam, like the men, they've dealt with the sanctions brilliantly, winning every game uh, since they were announced. And, and like the men, they have a, a charismatic leader who the players love and, and that seems to be making a big difference for them. Yeah, Chelsea couldn't have wished for two better leaders at coaching level at a time like this than, than Tuchel and Emma Hayes. I, I, was, I was in her press conference. Um, it, I think it was actually before... The sanctions were officially handed down, but it was after Abramovich had confirmed he was he was going to sell the club, and I thought she handled it all really well. Um, it was it was a minefield of a press conference, particularly because she's also a foundation trustee, so there were questions about that. Um, but you know, as with anything else, I think she was the most uncomfortable I'd ever seen her look, but she still answered questions really well, and she's managed this whole period really well. I mean, they had a big disappointment in the Conti Cup final. I'd imagine that's probably that probably had a bigger effect on the players than everything that's going on behind the scenes because they're not used to losing finals. But they've responded really well. Um, you know, four wins, three emphatic wins, and they're in a strong position to to really go. You know, strong for the, for the end of the Super League season. Um, also, congrats to Melanie Leopold's because she's she's announced she's pregnant, hasn't she? So she'll be out for a while, but for the best possible reason. Yeah, absolutely. Well done to her. Uh, in terms of the academy sides, the under-23s played Leeds at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. They earned what could be a crucial three points. Tiano Ballo's early goal, the difference here. It lifts Chelsea out of the relegation zone, at least at the time of recording. That could change on Monday as the bottom two, Blackburn and Derby, play one another. Um, Simon, we spoke about your piece on, on this team and, and the under-19 struggles this season. This really was a big win. Leeds just above them in the table, but just to give that little bit of belief going into the final few games of the season. Yeah, and, they, and they, wins have been really hard to come by um, for, for several weeks, so that will definitely lift spirits, um, relieve perhaps a bit of pressure that was building on Andy Myers shoulders as well as the under-23s coach. Um you would think you would think Chelsea have too much quality um, to to go down, you know. But then that's become a cliche. Every level of football, isn't it? But I, I'd be really surprised if they don't kick off from here. I think they play. They've got a few other games uh, against the teams around them um, in the running. Um, win those, and they, they should be fine. But yeah, that that was a that was a massive result for for the under twenty threes, and 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 hopefully if they do stay up, given all the all the issues they, they've had, all the play. I, I think last summer particularly hit them hard with the players that left and they, they sort of had to fast track players in that perhaps they weren't ready to do so quite as much. Um, I think that will, uh, they'll still see it as a, as a positive season because you, you've had players that perhaps they weren't planning to use, getting a year's experience and under having to play under pressure, which is what you want to see, don't you? You want to see how players respond to sort of needing a result and uh, for, they've certainly had to do that lately. And meanwhile, the under-18s earned a come-from-behind win against bottom-of-the-table Norwich at Cobham on Saturday morning. It cuts the gap at the top of the under-18 Premier League South to seven points. Chelsea have two games in hand on the leaders, West Ham. Jude Soon-Sutbell got the winner two minutes from time 
in that one. And uh, let's give some love to our old friend Tammy Abraham. On Sunday, he scored twice in the Rome derby as Roma beat Maurizio Sarri's Lazio. Abraham's now got 23 goals for the season, the most by any Roma player in their debut campaign. That's more than the likes of Gabriel Battistuta managed. Uh, Liam, I propose to you a summer swap deal. Lukaku for Abraham, are you taking it? He's looking like a hundred million pound striker in Serie A, isn't he? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased for him because he's a he's a super likable guy, very talented guy. Um, always thought he was going to have a very good career, whether it was going to be Chelsea or elsewhere. And he's adapted to living in Italy and the kind of cha- the different tactical challenge of Serie A brilliantly. He he made an impact from day one. He was scoring from day one. Um, and he and most importantly, he looks like he's really enjoying himself. Chelsea have that buyback. Uh, they don't think it kicks in for another year. We'll see how he feels, how Chelsea feel at that point. I don't know if Lukaku would would want to go to Roma. I don't know how welcome he is back at Inter, given the way the ultras greeted him when he left. So that mess is probably best kept separate for now. Uh, but no, I think Abraham just ultimately is a, is a great story and it's great to see him fulfilling his potential he's in the England squad now on merit um, and I think he will be for a long time one other thing that happened since last we met Chelsea drawn against Real Madrid in the Champions League quarterfinals uh, home ties on the 6th of April away on the 12th Simon obviously Chelsea beat Madrid in the semis last year but this is not the tie that that we would have picked if if we were able to choose a Benfica or a, or a Villarreal they probably would have been eminently preferable to Carlo Ancelotti's Yeah but you're also at that stage where you know you you you've got to start accepting you're going to play better teams um Chelsea's luck of the draw they certainly can't complain about the FA Cup uh how that's gone so you know they're going to have to they had a pretty nice draw in the in the last sixteen. I mean, they got they got Lille twice, uh, which took some doing. Um, so no, I think it's I still think it's a reasonable draw. Obviously, Real Madrid, the name Real Madrid instantly sparks respect uh, and and concern. But they've just been tonked at, by Barcelona, so that yeah, you're going to have to do a good job on Benzema. But there there are a few surprises in this Real Madrid side in terms of what what's happened since they, they comprehensively outplayed them, I thought, over both legs in the semi-final last season. So I, I'd imagine that the, the squad would be thinking, yeah, bring it on, we'll, we'll do it again. But the difference is, of course, the away leg is second and there'll be fans in the Bernabeu. So that's probably the the most intimidating aspect. They'll, they'll need to make that first leg count. They were an old team last year. They're an old team this year. Well, older, in fact, because that's how age works. What have you got against old people? We can still do things. <laughs> just think, I just think particularly in midfield, you look at Modric, Cruz, great quality, but they were left in the dust by Chelsea's midfield last year. So the key for me is that if Chelsea can reach that same level of midfield intensity, primarily with Kante. If Kante can be the player he was in the final stretch of last year's Champions League run, then they've got the ability to turn Madrid over, get at their defence. Their defence looks even weaker now than it was last year, even less convincing. So yeah, Chelsea go into it as favourites and I think they should. 
Oh, I feel much better about that now. Excellent. Thanks, Liam. Um, <laughs> Simon, it's international break, but, you know, it's Chelsea. Yeah, so it's yeah. not like you're going to be less busy. What are you going to be writing Boom. in the next couple of weeks? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to carry on writing about this little takeover thing. So that's, and Liam will probably say the same thing. Yeah, that that's, yeah, international break. What international break? Regardless, there's only one. I think I said this line last week. There's only one story in town. Um, so peace is all around that, basically. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll sort of be endeavouring to find out about the shortlist. But, yeah, I, I will be penning some kind of, yeah, it's hard to pick the right word, but a, a review, let's just say, of of Abramovich. That I'll be putting that together. But whether that's, I think that will be more time for when, the actual takeover is completed. Takeover talk all the way for you too, Liam. Yeah, so there's no actual football to distract us from the the thing that really matters now. Um, I'm I'm working on a piece about the the sort of intersection of sports and politics and some of the concerns that surround some of the bidders that could could play a role in all of this. That will be up sort of early this week. But like Simon, I'll be trying to work on the big takeover story who ends up winning the bid and also trying to feed into sort of end of the Abramovich era pieces that we're, that we're working on. Excellent. Remember that Matt Slater piece on uh, the runners and riders for the Chelsea ownership is also up and Matt Woosom has teamed up with our friend Dom Fifield uh, to ask about Josh Harris and David Blitzer, two of the Americans interested in being part of a Chelsea consortium, but they also have a stake in Crystal Palace, which they would have to divest themselves of. Theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. We'll be back on Thursday when we'll talk through everything else that's happened between now and then in the world of the takeover and everything else beside. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.